Good evening. Good to see each one of you back tonight for revival service. Let's stand together, please. Turn to page 451. Trust and obey, page 451. We'll sing the first, the third, and last verse as we begin tonight. Sing it out with me on that first verse. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Not a good we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil He doth richly repay. Not a grief nor a loss, not a frown nor a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at His feet, or we'll walk by His side in the way. What He says we will do, where He sends we will go, never fear, only trust and obey, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Amen. What a blessing. Boy, sure good to be back in the Lord's house. Amen. And I know some of you are thinking, well, that wasn't very long ago. Amen. But that's all right. Amen. And I could think of no better place to be on Tuesday night, and uh, man, it's been a a meeting already, amen, and I enjoyed the preacher's meeting uh, this morning and heard some uh, wonderful, wonderful preaching and then just had a great uh, lunch, and then I had a very long camp meeting, amen, Uh, but sure glad uh, to be back in the house of the Lord uh, tonight, and so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Got some, just some things wanted to mention very quickly, and then we'll get right on uh, into our service uh, tonight. I'm going to ask Brother Jack uh, Parker if you would open us in a word of prayer tonight. Amen. Won't you be seated uh, tonight? I did just want to say uh, very quickly, I uh, did want to say thank you to uh, a lot of our church family that uh, helped out uh, last night as well as uh, this morning. Man, we had people helping out with ushering and security and, 
and uh, serving and setting things up and just being a blessing. And I, I had a whole lot of preachers that uh, came by and said, thank you uh, for the, uh, you know, just the great meeting. Had other guys saying we need, we need to host a meeting every month and, uh, you know, and ha- host bigger meetings and things like that. And I'm like, hold on, slow down a little bit, all right. But uh, just really want to say I appreciate our church family and just the servants' hearts and, and folks that uh, were involved in that. And it was a real uh, blessing to a whole lot of preachers that were here and uh, sure thankful uh, for that. So we got some good news tonight. We had a barbecue lunch today, and so we have quite a bit of barbecue uh, left over once again. And so that's the good news. The bad news is you got to eat it tonight, all right? So uh, right after the service uh, tonight, we're going to just set up the barbecue once again. And, and so if you want to stay and stick around and have some fellowship uh, later on tonight after the service and, and uh, eat some, maybe eat some late supper, something like that. You know, if you eat barbecue about 9 o'clock at night, man, you have some good dreams, amen, and uh, visions and things in the night. And uh, so I wanted to mention that. And then also, don't forget about if you have kids in Faith Baptist School, be starting school back uh, tomorrow, but it's just half days through the week this week, so Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday in light of the meeting, amen. And so I know a lot of folks have been uh, helping out and things like that, and it's already Tuesday night, and some folks are looking already tired, so hang in there, all right? And uh, let's not give up, and let's get behind Brother Ted tonight as he preaches, and amen, and be in the message, and boy, let's let God speak to us once again, amen. Brother Eric, come on ahead tonight. Page 462. Song is Higher Ground. Page 462. Let's sing all verses tonight. I'm pressing on the upward way. Lift it up on that first. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to live above the world. Though Satan's darts at me are hurled, for faith has caught the joyful sound, the song of saints on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to scale the utmost height and catch a gleam of glory bright but still I'll pray till heaven I found Lord lead me on to higher ground Lord lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land a higher plane than I have found Lord plant my feet on higher ground Amen.
Let's go ahead and have our men uh, come uh, tonight. And again, we want to be a blessing uh, to the man of God this week, as he has certainly been a blessing to us already. Amen. So let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, tonight. I'm going to ask Brother Rich Raymer if you'd pray for us uh, tonight. Amen. Amen. ask you to stand with me one last time tonight. Let's turn to page number 234. Page 234. His grace is sufficient for me. Let's sing it out on both verses tonight. Many times I'm tried and tested as I travel day by day. Oft I meet with pain and sorrow and there's trouble in the way. But I have the sweet assurance that my soul the Lord will lead. And in Him there is strength for every need. Oh, His grace is sufficient for me. And His love is abundant and free and what joy floods my soul just to know just to know that his grace is sufficient for me when the tempter brings confusion and i don't know what to do on my knees I turn to Jesus, for I know He'll see me through. Then despair is changed to victory, every doubt just melts away. And in Him there is hope for every day. Oh, His grace is sufficient for me and his love is abundant and free and what joy fills my soul just to know just to know 
that His grace is sufficient for me. Aren't you thankful for God's grace tonight? Amen. You may be seated. Wonderful singing tonight. There burns a fire with sacred heat, white hot with holy flame. And all who dare pass through this blaze will not emerge the same. Some as bronze and some as silver some as gold then with great skill all are hammered by their sufferings on the anvil of his will the refiner's fire has now become my soul's desire purged and cleansed and purified that the Lord be glorified he is consuming my soul refining me making me whole no matter what I may lose, I choose the refiner's fire. I'm learning now to trust His touch, to crave the fire's embrace. For though my past with sin was etched, His mercies did erase. Each time His purging cleanses deeper, I'm not sure that I'll survive. Yet the strength in growing weaker keeps my hungry soul alive the refiner's fire has now become my soul's desire purged and cleansed and purified that the Lord be glorified. He is consuming my soul, refining me, making me whole. No matter what I may lose, I choose the refiner's fire. He is consuming my soul, 
refining me, making me whole. No matter what I may lose, I choose the refiner's fire. And uh, whether it be a fire or whether it be a hammer, let's let the Word of God just chip away at us tonight. Amen. So, Brother Ted, you come and preach the Word, brother. We've enjoyed it, so we'll get our seatbelts out. Amen. All right, good evening, everybody. Please take your Bible and go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 tonight. I have been grappling. I've got several messages on the subject of personal spiritual revival, and I really have... uh, wrestled with the Lord about what to bring tonight, and I really feel like this is what God would have for us tonight, and I would encourage you that if you're a note taker, tonight would be a good night to do that. We're going to give you some very practical things on a subject that when I announce it here in a moment, I'm sure that most everybody in here will probably be tempted to think that you already know everything there is to know about this. But I want to try to bring it in a very uh, practical, straightforward, understandable, organized way so that we can really be helped tonight. I've spent a lot of time trying to hone this and put this together in a way that can be uh, just a tool in our lives. And so 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, and I want to uh, preach tonight on the subject of living a victorious life in spite of temptation. And uh, I realize whenever you even say anything like victory or victorious life, uh, we're so Baptist that we uh, tend to not even say things like that because Joel Osteen might, you know, tend to say that every Sunday or, you know, some other liberal preacher, some universalist like Osteen is. And, uh, but the truth is that God does want every believer to live in victory. And the old timers preached this all the time, long before there was a liberal like Joel Osteen and that other crowd out there. Uh, The old-timers constantly preached on living a spirit-filled life, and uh, that's not speaking in ecstatic tongues, it's not being out of control, it's not being disorderly, and uh, it's amazing in South Florida how many issues you can fix just by teaching one principle, tongues are languages, tongues are just languages, amen, and I, I just, I can't believe how many people said, man, I never knew that, I never heard that. And uh, but but there so there's a lot of people out there that uh, they talk about constantly living in victory as if we'll never uh, and the old timers also taught on declension they called it times of uh, discouragement they didn't believe in John Maxwell's principles to be purest principles to be applied to the church that there was always positive forward momentum and you shouldn't even ever discipline anybody because of the negative connotation of the church. You should never really preach on sin, never talk about, never mention the, he- the name hell, you know, call it the other place or something like that. And so there's a lot of power of positive thinking out there. Norman Vincent Peale is dead and gone. Uh, Paul was appealing, Peale was appalling, amen. But there's still a lot of the, the power, some of you old timers know I'm talking about, <clears throat> the power of positive thinking out there. But the fact is, I've found that we're people of the pendulum effect. 
Uh, if, if somebody's over here, you know, leading people in false prayers, we tend to just not go soul winning. Amen. Amen. If somebody's over here, you know, doing this and we'll do, we'll just go so far the other way. But I want you to understand tonight that it is possible and it actually is the plan of God that we would understand what it is to walk in victory. And so like if every time you go to prayer, the first thing you say is, oh God, I'm sorry I did it again. Uh, you are being defeated. Uh, if, you, if, if you don't even believe what I'm saying tonight, that you can have victory, the devil's already duped you. Uh, God never created any of us and saved us and, and washed us in his blood so that we could just get the spiritual slop kicked out of us every day of our lives by the devil. He wants us to walk in the Spirit, uh, be empowered by God, and live pure, holy Christian lives, which is not talked about much today. And so I want to preach on the subject of victory and temptation. And I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's going to sound like a college course in the front end. Just bear with me. And we're going to get to some very practical things that I promise will be a help to you tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 13. The Bible said, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Let's pray together. Father, we need you tonight desperately. This message and this time of meeting together and all the efforts and music, it's all in vain if your Holy Spirit does not come down and help us tonight. So I pray, God, we invite you, we beg you, we beseech you, please, would you come in power tonight and help us. Lord, I pray for the young men in this building, the middle-aged men, the older men, who are specifically targeted with temptation through the eye gate, especially in these wicked days we're living in, and the women uh, who also are often uh, falling to these type sins. God, you know we're living in a sex-soaked society. And it's difficult to uh, not see it or to hear it or whatever the case might be. But God, we know you want us to live in victory. So Father, we pray that you would just uh, teach us, instruct us tonight and help us to put all of our uh, misconceptions and preconceived ideas aside. And may we sit at your feet as dear children, realizing we'll never get out of kindergarten in Christianity in our life. But if we could just stay as children at your feet, God, you could teach us. So bind the devil away from here. May we have liberty and power to preach and you get the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. America in 2022 may someday be properly remembered by Baptist historians as very evil days. Just a moment ago, and uh, not coincidentally, your pastor and I were mentioning the fact that we are living in the days when we're actually watching the great falling away that we preached about 10 and 15 and 20 years ago, it is upon us right now. And the falling away is not those who we would have expected to fall away or who we uh, presuppose maybe weren't saved to begin with, but it's our crowd. It's our people. <clears throat> it's those that believe the same things that we believe, shout at the same place we shout, carry the same Bible. There are many that are falling today. The following attributes will be remembered by historians. Today's are days, uh, today uh, rather, these days are days of selfishness, Lack of personal responsibility, fascism, abortion rights, the rise and expansion of child prostitution, the sodomite trans revolution, uh, the confusion of the genders, 
and on and on the story goes. And the next big push, by the way, is that it's normal for adults to be attracted to children in sexual ways. And that is absolutely what they're pushing. The thing we said five years ago, well, surely this article must be wrong, buddy. They're pushing it right now. We are living in wicked and evil days. And mom and dad, uh, I want you to understand this. I make no apologies for the way I preach or what I preach this week. I mean, honestly, if you want to write me a letter, file it in a round file before you even buy the stamp. Our children are drowning in sin. They are facing things that you and I never dreamed about facing. Look, man, when I was a 10-year-old boy, I lived in the creek catching crawdads and cooking them with a piece of charcoal in a coffee can. That's how wicked and evil I was at 10 years old. Amen? I might have came home with both of my arms all bruised up, jumping ramps with my buddies. You know that today that there are porn addicts that are 7 and 8 and 9 years old that have unfettered access to all the pornographic videos they want on the telephone that is completely unsuitable given to them by adults and you say well don't you trust your kids absolutely not I never have fully trusted my children I don't trust your children honey I don't trust you I don't 100% just close my eyes and act blind even to my wife we are to keep one another accountable and I know that all flesh is wicked all flesh is evil and look folks when you got saved your flesh did not get saved so quit looking at your children like a bunch of angels I'm telling you our children need the daylights preached out of them they need to be told how wicked and ungodly and how horrible uh, this pornography is that is captivating the minds of a generation. I did not intend to do this, but I want to tell you this little story tonight, and it's an actual true story. I was sitting in Preacher Boy's class way back in the early 90s, and I never will forget that the vice president of our college was our Preacher Boy's teacher, and he came in and he began to tell us a story, and he said, gentlemen, he was very sober. He said, gentlemen, I want you to know that every single week, it was when the computers first started coming out. I remember when the 286 came out, the 486, and all the pastors were getting computers, and the deacons, and the assistant pastors, and the youth pastors. And what they did not realize, because it was all happening so fast, was that when they looked at something that was evil, because now they discovered they didn't have to go buy a pornographic magazine in a store, they could clip a, click, click a couple buttons, they didn't realize that all of that was being recorded but he said this to me he said it has become an epidemic I'm talking about in the early 90s again when you booted up your computer and it went for about three or four minutes before the screen even started flickering at you but he said every week I get a call uh, from a church or a pastor that says can you help us find a pastor our pastor got caught in pornography but he said this he said, but this week I got the most troubling call that I've ever received concerning this issue. He said, I got a call this week from a dear pastor friend of mine. And you know, he said, we wept and prayed and all of that worshiped together and served together. And he pastors a large church. And, and he said, and he said this to me. He said, Brother Loggins, could you please help our church to find a pastor? And Brother Loggins said, really? He said, why, brother? What happened? He said, I have resigned the church. And he said, well, why did you resign the church? He said, I have a serious pornography addiction. And he said this to the brother. He said, oh, brother, I am so sorry. And he just said the normal thing. He said, when did they catch you? How did they catch you? He said, they didn't catch me. 
He said, well, when did your wife catch you? He said, my wife didn't catch me. He said, then why did you resign your church? And you young men better listen to me tonight. He said this. He said, because it got so bad in my life that when I walked to the pulpit, I could no longer even get the thoughts out of my head. I was completely consumed and overcome with it. And he said, and God told me that I am absolutely done in the ministry. Please help this church find a pastor. Now, if you think I'm kidding, folks, I'm here to tell you there are young people today that are left alone and given phones and given. If you don't have about 10 different measures to try to keep your children from filth, you better get on this altar tonight, apologize to God, then go home and do something about it and quit trusting your children. I'm going to tell you how much I trusted my children. We lived in a bus for most of our ministry. We had a 40-foot long bus. It was 8-foot wide, 12-foot wide at the widest. Amen? Now, I'm going to tell you what. We watched our children like hawks. We were on top of each other. Amen. All the time. That made it pretty easy. But I'm telling you this. Even when our kids went in the bathroom, I told them, you're in there too long. I'm going to come a-rapping. Amen. There's one place you get privacy. And if you're in there too long, I want to know why that is. I want to know if my son's in the bathroom for an hour. What in the world's going on inside the bathroom? Our son has protection on his phone. He turns that phone in every night. I'm not giving my son a phone to have in his bedroom when the lights are out, when I'm sleeping. I don't know what's going on. By the way, let me just throw this in while I'm at it. Quit letting your kids sleep at every Tom, Dick, and Harry's house, letting your teenagers go over with ungodly families, unproven families. And let me just remind you a lot. We never let our kids sleep over anywhere. We were the terrible bad Pharisees, amen. But I just knew that there was a lot of people that we knew and if it wasn't somebody real close to us or Mamma and Papa, we wouldn't go let our kids because most times they're molested by an uncle or it's, it's the mother's boyfriend that nobody knew was living there in the basement or our brother law just got out of jail and we're giving them a mattress downstairs to sleep on and that's the kind of junk that happens I'm saying protect your children and specifically in this area of pornography you want something to destroy them quicker than everything else put together let them get consumed in their flesh with porn and it'll drag them down into perdition amen hallelujah preacher I believe what I'm preaching amen brother Alexander that's right glory to God Church members, your pastor has a target on his chest. You better pray for him. Pray for his purity. And wives, don't trust your husbands 100% to where you're just ignorant. I've met some women, honestly, they're walking around with their head up in the clouds. And it's like, this guy's flirting with every guy in their church. I wanted to go jack slap him and then have my wife jack slap the wife for not paying attention. Amen? Honestly, watch your husband. Protect your marriage. I thank God for my wife's a pit bull, man. You even so much as cut your eyes at me. My wife will come say, watch her, honey. She's a hussy. Amen. <laughs> really? Yep, just watch her. I'm a watching her. Amen. I'm telling you honestly, God's truth. I don't get mad at my... By the way, if you get mad at your wife, you're probably trying to hide something. Amen. I just say, yes, ma'am. Hallelujah. I like my head right where it's at. I'm not going to look over that way. Amen. We got to be careful, folks. Many are falling. The good news tonight is this. Preacher and I had a battle. Good news, bad good news, good, bad news, good news. Here's the good news, amen? You and I don't have to fall. There's not a reason in the world that you and I have to be sucked into the garbage and filth of this ungodly world, amen? God wants you to walk in victory and enjoy the Spirit-filled life. Now, I want you to look at your Bible with me, please. Back to our text, verse number 13. <clears throat> I'm going to have to hurry. Notice what your Bible said. There's a word that is used here in verse 13. There hath no temptation notice this he said further tempted and then again in verse number 13 he uses the word temptation 
Temptation can easily lead to destruction. Very quickly, turn to James chapter 1. James chapter number 1. You know, it's a biblical formula that is laid out here in James chapter 1. And this is irrevocable and unchangeable. <clears throat> James chapter 1 verse number 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. Now watch this, and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. So the, the Bible's teaching us that if temptation is not dealt with correctly, there is a course that it runs. It runs then to lust, and then when it's conceived, it brings forth sin, and when sin is done, it is death. And it may not be a physical death, and it may not mean that you go to hell, obviously, if you've been saved, but your family could shipwreck. You're like, you could be useless to God. You can disqualify yourself, I still believe this, from ministry by adultery, by doing adulterous acts, by doing filthy, ungodly things. And so, listen, temptation can easily lead to destruction. Let me give you some advice very quickly. Don't ever quit fighting your sin. Don't ever let the devil tell you, just stay down for the count. God's already forgiven you for that a thousand times. He's never, never going to forgive you again. You're just a hypocrite. No, you keep getting up. I'm not telling you to get knocked down. I'm not telling you to just have, have habitual sin. But don't ever stop getting up and fighting sin another day. And another day. And another day. And I pray that this message tonight would be a turning point in the life of somebody who's getting the slats kicked out of them over and over in this area of life. Lust and temptation. Let me very hurry, hurry on very quickly. Let me define temptation. First of all, temptation as a noun is this. A solicitation of the passions or enticements to evil. Now let me just remind you that all of us have passions. Our physiology was made by the great creator God that made everything. Amen. He understands that those desires that we have and even those lusts that we have, they were created, but they were created for a purpose, you see? And God wants us uh, to have those, but them to be aimed at the one person that he has created for us in a monogamous, sometimes monotonous, amen, but a monogamous marriage, amen. And the marriage bed, he said, is undefiled. Now, here's what the devil does in temptation. He solicits those very same passions, desires, and lusts, and he tries to get you to aim them at somebody other than your spouse. That's where adultery comes from. When he solicits your passions, when your spouse is not around, and tries to get them aimed at somebody, and in many cases today, it's not even a person, it's a computer screen, it's a video, or it's a picture, or it's some harlot house, house of ill repute, whatever you want to call it, and so the devil is trying to solicit your passions, and he's enticing you to evil. Let me move on further. Tempt, the verb, means this. To entice or solicit to an evil act, listen carefully, by the offer of some pleasure or apparent advantage as the inducement. And by the way, let me just go back for a minute. For the unmarried, I want you to understand this. So for the married, obviously, he tries to stir up your God-given desires and passions and aim at someone you're not married to, to those who are 
underage and those who are unmarried. He simply tries to stir up your passions long before their time and to try to get you to start fornicating and stealing from the marriage. And, and what you're doing, my friend, is, is if you go out and start dating over and over and over with a bunch of different partners, you're training yourself to quit your own marriage. You're also stealing from somebody else's spouse if you don't tend to be with them forever. And not only that, my friend, uh, you are committing fornication. And this is the devil's plan and temptation. Let's get the married to cheat on their spouse. Let's get the young people all stirred up at a very young age. I, there's some things I have, I, I'm careful not to even mention because I'm not even sure the terms to use. But there are young people in our schools today. And if they're the V and they're seven and eight, nine years old, and they're not going, you know, rubbing up against somebody at the little kitty's junior prom, then they're weirdos. And they make fun of them because they're not involved in sexual activity as little children today. And they're coming out wondering, maybe I'm a transvestite. Maybe I'm a girl. Maybe I ought to start getting body parts cut off and sexual things removed from my body. Our kids are in a flat-footed mess today. They need absolute direction from their parents and their preacher. He is tempting. And then, to listen, it's a solicitation to an evil act by the offer of some pleasure or apparent advantage as the inducement. Here's how it generally works with young people. He says, hey, you deserve it. Your parents are just trying to keep you from it because it's so great. Everybody else is doing it. Nobody's going to know about it. Man, is it going to feel good. So there's this apparent pleasure or advantage. That's what he uses to induce you to do this. Everybody's doing it. You've got to stop being a weirdo and just join the cool club and go fornicate. Now, I've got to give you some very basic facts to get moving in the message. Look in your Bible again <laughs> to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. <laughs> we have defined temptation. Let's get very practical tonight. There are some things that you have to accept and realize, and I know they're going to sound very basic, <clears throat> but I believe there's some people here that absolutely need to hear this. Number one, temptation will come in your life. I mean, a temptation will come annually, monthly, weekly, daily. And you ever felt like me? Like sometimes the devil's just chasing you around everywhere you go all day long, tempting you over and over and over again? Listen, the Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that no temptation take any but such as is common to man. So the fact that you're going through temptation doesn't mean that, man, the devil's really after you. Join the club, Fred. We're all in this together. Anybody that is alive today is going to be tempted by the devil. And the saved are especially tempted because he wants to keep us from glorifying the one he hates and wants to usurp his authority. And so these are very common things. Now, all of that being said, let me stop and ask you a question. You agree temptation's common, right? We face it all the time. Right now, tonight... How are you doing in your temptations? Let me stop there and let you think for a second. Really? No, I mean really, gentlemen. No, no, I mean, I mean really, like over the last six months, over the last week, over the last year. See, because since it's such a common part of Christianity, you would think that you would hear this preached about all the time. And that people would be giving us the biblical formula on how to be victorious. And, and we would be encouraging one another and praying for one another and admonishing one another, knowing that we can shipwreck if we don't understand how to be victorious. 
And young ladies, I want to say that the internet's just as filthy and just as much as an allurement for you as it is for the young men today. And you have got to be careful. And I'm talking about the allurement of lesbianism and girls trying to be predators to our children. I'm going to tell you a story, preacher. And this will bring things down to reality. I've got a sister. Her name is Maureen. My sister lives in Erie, Pennsylvania. Her daughter went off to, one daughter went off to Pensacola Christian College and, you know, she was doing fine in her Christian life and went down there and got some skills for whatever she was pursuing. I'm not a big endorser of that school, I'm just telling you. This kind of home they had, they went to church every Sunday, went to church every Wednesday, and then she had another daughter. And that daughter, she used to let her go over and clean house with a lady in the church, a single lady, a divorced lady. And uh, her daughter started acting strange, but they couldn't put their finger on it. And she always started carrying this crazy gym bag with her everywhere she went. And they just didn't understand. There's some weird things going on. But you never think this is going on right under your nose in a biblical church. And then the day came when her daughter turned 18 and came to mom and dad. And I couldn't even begin to give you the initials of the words she said to her parents. And also said, I hate your guts and I'm never coming back to this house again. On her 18th birthday, her parents, my sister, crumbled. I mean, I don't know if you can understand the devastation. Because to me, when you lose a kid, man, game over, man. I mean, how do you ever get over that? There'd be the blame and the shame. That, and I know you, that God gives grace and God gives mercy. But I know my sister and I know how frail she was. And I know how the devil messed with her about that. But she, they thought, oh, we're, we got one chance. She's got to come back and get her stuff. We'll plead with her. We'll beg her. We'll find out what the problem is. We'll apologize. And they went into her room and everything was gone. You know that gym bag she'd been carrying back and forth to church? This lesbian in the church told her to put all of her stuff in it. Week by week, she'd take it to church. And she'd put it under the pew of the church and leave it there. And that lady'd take it in the afternoon and dump it out in her house and bring her the bag back that night. And she did that every church service for months until they walked in. And the last Sunday, she took the last of everything she had and she was gone. So what happened? She wore a tuxedo to the prom as a man. Just a few months after that, She's now living with her second or third lover somewhere up in the northeastern part of the United States. I am telling you, folks, we, this is not your grandpa's days that you're living in. This is not the days that we grew up in anymore. We are living where they are being bombarded with the most ungodly wickedness. We are living in a Sodom and Gomorrah in America at the click of a button. There's everything the devil loves and God hates right at their fingertips. It's very common. How are you doing with it? Acts chapter 20. I've got to, I'm going to have to cut some fat out. Go to Acts chapter 20. We haven't even really got into the introduction to the introduction yet. Acts chapter 20. Verse number 19. Look at your Bible, please. I want you to realize this. You say, well, preacher, I serve God so much I don't have to worry about that. Well, let me remind you this. You do anything that is substantial for the kingdom of God and against Satan's kingdom, and you've just put your head up on the radar screen, and the devil's going to attack you worse. 
It's not like anybody's going to get out of here without being tempted, okay? You're not so holy and you're not so great that all of a sudden temptation just ceases in your life. <clears throat> I asked a 90-year-old man one time, my neighbor's one of the godliest men I ever met in my life. I'm sorry, my brother asked him, and I was talking to my brother, and he said, you know what I asked Orvi? He said, I asked Orvi, does it ever get easier, the temptations and the lust? And Orvi said, nope, it, it just gets harder. A 90-year-old man told that to my godly brother. The Apostle Paul, I'm going to have to read this and move on. Acts 20, verse number 19. Look at your Bible. <clears throat> Paul was serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears. Great way to serve God. And he said, And temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. As you serve God more, you will be attacked more. You become a threat to the devil's kingdom. He's going to do everything he can to lure you out and to attack you. First Thessalonians chapter number 3. Flip over there quickly. <clears throat> First Thessalonians chapter 3. I'm going to have you turn fast tonight, look at some scripture. What am I saying? I'm saying that first of all, temptation is very common. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse number 4, watch what your Bible said. For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass. And you know, for this cause when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by <clears throat> some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. You know one of the goals of the devil is to make our labor in vain. To shut down the work of evangelism. To give a church a bad testimony. To wreck your family testimony. For them to know you're saved and then get all messed up in porno or adultery or fornication or sodomy or some of this transgender garbage and to thwart and stop the very work of Almighty God. That's what the Bible says. 1 Peter chapter 1. You won't be able to leave here and say, that preacher didn't give no scripture. I'm telling you, it's very common. Notice 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 6. The Bible says it this way. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That is not in reference to an automobile, incidentally. That means a variety. And so you understand, as I do, that the devil does not have omniscient wisdom. Okay, so he doesn't know everything that you're thinking, but what he has is learned knowledge. He is far superior to us in a variety of ways, biblically true, no doubt. But what he does is he comes to your life and starts pushing on doors dangling things in front of you, thinking, using what he's used on others that's worked for them and attempting to learn where your weaknesses are. If he pushes on a door and the door doesn't open, he just moves to another door because he's got manifold temptations, you see, and the tempter's the one doing this. And so he's coming at you. Then when he learns, when you open up and you go a certain direction, aha, He's going to attack that day and night and day and night. And this is where the addictions come in because he is relentless about this until the absolute destruction of your life takes place. Take your Bible, go to James chapter 1. <clears throat> James chapter number 1, quickly. What are you saying? I'm saying temptations very common. They are manifold. And then James chapter 1 and verse number 2, My brethren, count it all joy. When you fall into divers' temptations, this is not in reference to the swim team either. Amen? So there's all kinds of different temptations, but I do want to point this out. First of all, temptation is common to us. We've got to learn how to be victorious in it. <clears throat> but also notice this. We're to count it joy. There's one of those verses for years. I read that, and I better move on. I don't get that. <clears throat> don't think I could ever get to that place. 
don't really understand that. They must have been a whole lot more holier than us. They must have had, you know, superhero apostolic capes and cool stuff like that. Amen? And then I realized one day, it is for all of us. And what the Bible is teaching here is that you can get to a place of maturity where you have a series of victories, although we don't live on those victories and trust in our, our flesh or what we have done, but we can believe God that when a temptation is laid before me, I can either succumb to it and displease God, or I can trust Him and depend on His power and His Spirit and plead with Him for God's grace and be victorious in it. Amen? And so in that sense, I can look at a, a temptation. So this is a glorious opportunity to show God that I love Him. Instead of giving in to it, I give God the glory through it. And we can actually get to a point where we rejoice and count it a joy when we fall into <clears throat> divers temptations. Temptation will come. Let me move on with you quickly. Go to Luke chapter number 4. And I want to say secondly, that it comes as a result of satanic attacks on our flesh. I want to clarify biblically exactly where temptation is derived from. There are satanic attacks upon your flesh. You are in a spiritual warfare. Go to Luke chapter number 4 with me. <clears throat> I won't take the time. You know the story of Jesus being tempted here. By the way, so I'm just going to be so full of the Holy Ghost, I won't have to worry about temptation. And yet Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, was led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And so you notice here, uh, the Bible said here, uh, in verse number 2, being 40 days was Jesus tempted, watch this, of the devil. Where's temptation come from? We're drawn away of our own lust and enticed. So there is a wicked spirit being, and I know Halloween's coming up, the little red guy with the pitchfork and the horns, he is a wicked spirit being who literally wanted to overthrow the throne of God and wants everyone to burn in hell forever. And he is coming after you just like he did Jesus. Notice verse 13. The Bible said when the devil had ended all the temptation departed. So you'll note the temptation began with Satan and it ended with Satan. And so these temptations are satanically motivated and empowered. He is the one that is after you. Instead of looking at that harlot, oh, she's so pretty. Why don't you see a wicked, ungodly skeleton behind it? Why don't you see death behind it? Why don't you see the real destruction behind it? Why don't you see old Slewfoot, Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies, the wicked one who's behind all that junk that tempts us and draws us away? I'll never forget. I'm telling you, it is a satanic attack. We look at the person, blame the people, we forget it's a spiritual warfare. That's in many cases why we're losing it. A couple of five, six Christmases ago, we were in North Carolina, and we went to the Panera Bread. And I really don't care what you think. When you find a restaurant where you can buy one cup and drink free coffee all day, it is cool as school. Amen. I mean, it's cooler than school. It's awesome. Love Panera Bread. Amen. Good Wi-Fi. You only get kicked, out, kicked off once every two hours. I know that. Amen. <clears throat> But I was at Panera Bread, my wife was there, my daughter was there. We were working on the annual Christmas calendars because once you give one to the grandparents, then they expect one every year, amen. And so it was a multi-day project. We didn't have good Wi-Fi. We were staying at the mission's house. We were staying at North Carolina. I was preaching out many weeks of revival <clears throat> near Fort Bragg and went over to the Panera Bread. And we were in there about two days. 
And uh, spent several hours in there first day, four or five hours, and went over again, spent four or five hours there, me and my daughter, Bethany, and my wife, and we were working on that. And I was working on, uh, actually, our app, our Baptist Heritage Revival Society app, Baptist History Sites and all that, and I was inputting data. And uh, they got done, and I still had more work to do <clears throat> after the second day. So the third day, I went back for, I was just going to go back for a few hours without my wife. And that's Panera Bread. I mean, it's here in North Carolina. Everything was fine. And I'm sitting there at a table. And I'm just telling you how the devil works. And I'm sitting there at a table, and I'm just, just inputting data and looking stuff up and double-checking grid coordinates, all kinds of stuff like that on the app. And then walks a lady. And uh, she stopped, and I had a shirt on. <clears throat> and you wouldn't understand the statement. It was a Pennsylvania coal region statement. But she stopped, and she said, oh, soupies. She said, what's that? And I looked up, and the first thing I noticed as a married man is, this woman is not dressed appropriately. So as is my manner, I immediately think to turn my head. But when somebody addresses you, you just simply look at their eyes. Gentlemen, learn what I'm saying to you tonight. And so I'm talking to her, but I'm realizing my wife's not here now. And all this stuff's registering registering as as a believer in Christ and as a follower of him. And I'm feeling uncomfortable about this. So my philosophy was, and I think it's just... The nature of, 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 of me walking with God and praying and, and loving Him, you know, and being a failure, but yes, wanting to do right. And so I'd try to give her an answer that was like a final answer, you know? It's like, this is all I'm saying to you, and I'm going back to work, like that. Amen? Boom, bye, you know, like that. And so I said this to her. I said, oh, yeah, I said, uh, it, it's a Pennsylvania thing. And of course, then the next thing, oh, Pennsylvania. Blah, 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 my aunt in Pennsylvania, and I'm from Michigan. And she started to carry this on again. And so at this point, I, I answer her question again, and I proceeded to try to go back. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, she wants to tell me her whole life story. Yeah, I'm in town on business, and, and she's got a, a little old mini skirt on and high heels on. And I'm telling you, uh, I all but had to be mean and say, ma'am, I'm a married man. I don't feel comfortable talking with you, but I was trying my best not to be mean. Finally, I just said, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of busy and stuff. And so I just kind of went back to work. She walked over and sat down alone at a table. Say, what'd you do? I never packed up my laptop and my books, everything I had so fast in my life and got out of there. I felt guilty just by being there. And I'm, I'm telling you, I wasn't tempted, but I'm just telling you how the devil works. Because I know I've been around long enough to know this. The next statement was, hey, why don't we just go out and get a couple drinks tonight? You know your way around? You know any nice places to go? You could just tell where it was going. I ran home and confessed to my wife that I was there and a lady talked to me. Amen. I'm just telling you. I mean, I got, I got almost hot in the head like I was going to faint. I felt guilty. I, I got to get out of here. But I'm here to tell you, the devil knows when you're alone, where you're alone. He knows exactly when to tempt you. If you're in hotel rooms a lot, on business or any otherwise, without your family, if you're traveling, he knows exactly where to tempt you. And I'm just saying, folks, there have been many times in my life like that. And you know what I had to do like Joseph? I had to just grab my laptop, leave my jacket, and get on out of there. Amen. But we are enticed by Satan. These are, yeah, there was a a pretty young lady there from Michigan. But can I tell you, behind her was a devil. 
who knew my testimony, knew the people that got saved in our meetings that could now be disillusioned once they heard Ted Alexander got caught in this or caught in that or did that. He knew my family, my testimony, my children who were serving God. Now my grandbabies that are getting raised in church. He thought, man, I can just destroy the whole ball of wax. There is a satanic attack upon you. It is concerted. It is real. And you better understand that tonight. Amen. I just trust my husband. You are dumb, lady. I'm just telling you, I'm telling you in a Christian way and as nice as I can, you are a dummy. Wake up and smell the coffee. Get some accountability. And if you have any doubts, look, don't worry about being paranoid. I'm not telling you to go out and just freak out every other day, amen. But I'm saying if you suspect something, go talk to your spouse about it. Ask them about it. Don't just give unfettered, you know, uh, liberty for anybody to do whatever they want to. Mark it down. The devil will attack you. And try to tempt you to destruction. I've got to hurry. Listen to me. Uh, we understand temptation is common. It comes as a result of satanic attacks upon our flesh. Let me give you the third part. Go to Hebrews chapter 4 with me. Here's where it starts getting gooder. Amen. In Hebrews chapter number 4, we'll find thirdly that Jesus Christ has been there too. One of the times you just really want to lash out at people, I guess, in the ministry is when you hear people say something as stupid as this. God don't even know what I'm going through. You're dumber than a box of rocks, man. Honestly, you're crippled too high for crutches. I'm just telling you. <clears throat> no, I, I, I think he might know. I, I'm just, just a hunch. Jesus Christ has been there too in temptation. And Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 15 Look at this with me, if you would. The Bible said, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. We don't have a cold, callous high priest. We don't have one that doesn't understand, that doesn't have compassion, that doesn't feel what we're going through, and is not troubled when we're going through something. That's the fake God Allah that doesn't exist. Whose subjects serve him out of utter fear, shuddering lest he cast them into hell for poor performance. That's not the kind of Savior that we have. Amen? He loves us and we love him because he first loved us. So he said, that's not the kind of Savior we have. Here's the kind of Savior we have. Our Savior was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Amen? I'm going to just tell you this. For those that still think Jesus don't know, you will never walk a mile, amen, that Jesus Christ has not already traversed both victoriously and obediently with no sin whatsoever and keeping a perfect testimony. He knows. He's been there too in temptation. Let me give you another thought fourthly and quickly. Here's where it really gets gooder, amen. Because he's been there, he can help us. Now I like that, amen. Go to Hebrews chapter number 2. Hebrews chapter 2, please. I want to share with you two of my favorite, favorite little portions of Scripture in the book of Hebrews. And the first one is in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 17 and verse number 18. <clears throat> the Bible says this, and I'm going to try to break this down for you and try to put it, put it in a little bit more understandable uh, language and terminology, if I may. The Bible said this in verse 17. Now, because he's been there, he can help us. Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him. What does that mean? Based on everything else you read, here's the, here's the sum of it. He said, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. Here's what he said. 
He said, based on everything we read and all that we know, it was a really smart idea for Jesus to take on a human body. It behooved him. It was wise. It was beneficial for him to be made like his brethren. Why? Watch this. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. To make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to secure them that are tempted. He said it was really wise for Jesus to take on a human body so that he was tempted, so that he's able to help us that are tempted. Now, let me give you a theological question. I'm not trying to trick you here. You know the answer. Just give the right answer. Could Jesus have helped us in temptation if he had never been tempted here on this earth? Yes or no? Being God and eternal. Sure he could have. So you have to understand what this scripture is actually saying. Let's look at it again. He says here, Friend that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to secure them that are tempted. God is not saying, I had to put my son through temptation school so he would get it when you're having a rough day. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying was this, I wanted my son perfectly, it behooved me to write the plan this way, that my son would be tempted so that you would know that when you are down, all hope is not lost and there is hope and victory. And you can look up to Jesus and know that even he was tempted beyond all of his knowledge and wisdom and power and glory and grace. He even went so far as to be tempted so you would know he knows exactly what you're going through. It was for our benefit. Jesus didn't have to go to helping people through temptation yourself school. He didn't have to do that. Amen? But God said, y'all don't even think he, I understand. So I even let my son after everything else to go through temptation. So you'd never, uh, never one second believe that he couldn't help you. What am I trying to say? I'm going to say this. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to give you a really good thought here in just a second. He is an expert in the field of temptation. We have an expert to turn to, amen? Now I know about you, when I'm looking for a doctor or a dentist, um, a car fixed, amen? I'm not going to some shade tree guy or, you know, somebody from the Three Stooges to yank my teeth out or whatever. Some doctor, you know, still just got out of school, wet behind the ears. <clears throat> I want an expert. I want to know three people that went there, you know, paid a low bill and had a good experience, Amen? We have an expert in the field of temptation. He's the one you want, I promise you. It's not Dr. Smellflunky and James Dobson and all these liberals out there with their psychobabble. We need Jesus to help us. Yeah. Go, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 9. <clears throat> it goes even to another level here in our understanding that because he's been there, he can help us. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. Let me try to decipher this one for you. Amen. <clears throat> Watch this. He said, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he might, but, uh, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Now watch this. For it became him. For whom are all things and by whom are all things. Now what's that? That's talking about the Father. What does that mean? It became him for all things, by all things. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, it's just like God. The one who's for all things and by whom are all things. Notice this. He said it was just like the Father. <clears throat> Watch this. Uh, in bringing many sons into glory. Stop, look up here for a minute. Here's what he's saying. 
He said it was just like God. God's a multitasker. There it is, all right? It's just like God that as he is bringing many sons into glory through salvation, as his son is here and he's going to the cross and he's living a perfect life and he's preaching the gospel and doing all, as God is sending his son to die on the cross, he's also doing something else. Simultaneously, look back at your text. It says, just like God, whom are all things, by are all things, as he's bringing many sons into glory, as he's saving souls, it's just like him to also make the captain of there, the ones that get saved, who is bringing him to glory, the captain of their salvation, perfect through sufferings. Here's what it says. It's just like God, that as he's unfurling the plan of salvation, Jesus would also suffer so that he could be the perfect captain of our salvation, those of us that are saved by the grace of God. Theological question number two. Did Jesus have to suffer to be able to understand us and to be a good captain of our salvation? Absolutely not. Could God have written a plan any way he wanted to? Again, he's not saying, here's what he's not saying, that as I was bringing many sons into glory, I realized that Jesus had to suffer or he never could have been a good captain of salvation. That's not what he said, amen? He said, I just did this because it's just like me to do this because he knows how weak and beggarly we are and how much help we need. That as he's saving us, he let Jesus grow through all these temptations, problems, and trials so that we would know not only do we have an expert in the field, we've got a captain of our salvation that can help us. So when you're tempted... When you're getting the slop kicked out of you. When you have an addiction in your heart, in your mind, a bitterness you can't let go of. Whatever it is, you know there is help to be had because God planned it that way. He didn't just save us and leave us to the dogs. Amen? Amen. He left us an expert in the field. I was driving to a meeting in Wisconsin about 10, 15 years ago on my bus. And it was getting late at night on a Saturday night. We're in a, a section between the Wisconsin Dells. It's a tourist trap. Maybe you've heard of it. It's kind of like Branson. Of course, nothing's as cool as Branson. Amen. But it's like Branson. And uh, <clears throat> so I was driving up through there. And it's a section in Wisconsin on 94, you know, kind of on its way to Minnesota, where there's really nothing. There's not very many, uh, you know, exits or anything like that. No really cool places to stop. <clears throat> and uh, I remember driving through there. And all of a sudden, boom, man, the bus tire blows out. Here's a 22.5 inch tractor trailer tires and one blew out, man. I mean, that bus just started rocking everywhere. It just had dualies on the back. It's a freight liner chassis. My daughter screamed, dad, I think the tanks fell out. The water tanks, you know, a big hundred gallon water tank, a big 50 gallon water tank. And I mean, it was, it was a, just a disaster. And I'm just quickly slowing down, man. I throw the Jake brake on and I'm, we're coming down and I'm pulling off and I'm thinking, man, we're in the middle of nowhere. And all of a sudden, preacher, I look up, and there's an exit. And I thought, my, what a dink, amen? And I just start pulling off, and I'm like, praise God. Maybe, you know, maybe God does know where I'm at. I don't know. And I'm pulling off because immediately it's, it's drama and stress, and what are we going to do, and what was me, right? Amen? Am I the only one that freaks first and asks questions later? Amen? I do. I just blow a gasket usually, and then my wife calms me down. Amen. Gives me a couple Valium and a half of baby aspirin. Amen. <laughs> but we're pulling off, and I'm thinking, man, I need to, I, I, I'm going to need a, 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 somebody to help me here. And I look up, and there's a, a big billboard. I don't really take the Valium. Some of y'all looking at me funny. <laughs> there's this thing called humor. But anyway, your mom will teach it to you later. 
So I look up and it said, 1-800-TRUCK uh, or something like that. We come to you, tow truck. Big, big Mac truck. Truck tire service, I think it said. And I'm like, honey, truck tire service. Right down there. And she's like, I'm already on it, amen. She's putting the number in. And so we come off and we come down to the stop sign at the off ramp. And I got to turn right because I got to get this off to the you know, side somewhere. And I was thinking, man, maybe God, you know, is in this. There's you know, something going on here. Maybe the Lord knows where I'm at. You know? And I pull up, and the first thing I saw a preacher, it said, chocolate factory. Amen to the parking lot to pull in. I knew I was in the will of God right there at that moment. <laughs> then peace like a river attended my way. <laughs> I'm telling you, glory came down and chocolate filled my mouth. <laughs> but I pulled off. And uh, now I'm starting to worry again, you know. I know you never do this, but I'm worried. We're late for the meeting. You know, I got to get there. It's getting dark. What am I going to do? And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm starting to worry because I had had experiences before. You call for somebody to come help you in your bus, and you don't give them all the details, and they pull up in like a little Isuzu pickup truck. And it's like, dude, go back and get the big one. Sorry, that ain't going to help us. I mean, seriously, you know? Oh, okay. So... I tried to give them as much information as I could, but I'm worried they're going to send me some little rinky-dink dude in a pickup truck. And I'm telling you, man, I could hear it about a quarter mile away. And I look up here making the turn and coming down is a beautiful, glistering, look like a brand new Mack truck tow truck. You ever see the ones that pull the buses and the trucks and tow trucks? And man, that dude come in the parking lot. And I was like, just standing there, oh, this is awesome. Amen. I really don't care how much this costs. The Lord's got to pay it anyway. This is just cool. Amen. So he pulls in. And uh, I'm trying, he jumps out of the truck, and first of all, I'm talking about having an expert in the field now, amen? You've got one. And, and I, I, he jumped out of the truck, he's literally, I'm telling you under God, he had a cigarette in his hand, and he's you know, spitting chaw on the other, he's got a whole big baseball on the other side. It's like, man, that can't taste good, amen? One or the other don't taste good, two together's got to taste terrible. But he's doing it, you know? <clears throat> so Mr. Truck Tire jumps out. I did not realize he was Mr. Truck Tire yet at this point. But it's gonna, I'm going to find out he is Mr. Truck Tire. Under God, he is Mr. Truck Tire. He jumps out and I said, sir, you don't realize, you know, my back, uh, back of my bus weighs 23,000 pounds. And you know, he's a, he, all of a sudden, he's got the generator kicked on. I'm trying to tell him, you know, uh, you know it's hard to get that up. You've got to have the right kind of jack. He's plugging in a, 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 a hydraulic hose. or uh, he's, got, he's got his compressor over there. And all of a sudden, whoop, that bus is up in the air. And I'm just like standing back. Man, maybe this guy knows some stuff. He just comes up and kind of get out of the way and gets down there. He's yanking off those, those lug nuts. And I'm telling you, he pulls off this 22.5-inch bus tire. Now, they're narrower because of the fiberglass, but he pops that off, puts it on his hip, and flips it on the back of this thing he's got there. And I'm like, sir, I don't have any way to take the tire off the rim. And he's like, I got it all covered. He puts that up there, pops that off, puts a brand new one on my rim on the back of his truck. It was like the fixed Ted Alexander's bus truck that he brought. Amen? I'm telling you, it's a wonder it didn't say evangelistic ministries on the side or something. But he gets all this done, puts it on, and he pops that stuff back on. And in like 15 minutes, a bus is sitting back on the ground. And I'm just standing there like, wow, I ain't never seen it on this wise before. Amen? He speaks as one with authority. Not like the scribes and the little guy in the Isuzu. Amen? And I mean, we're just shocked. And we signed the paper. I don't care how much it is, bro. You did awesome, amen. And signed the paper. And as he's pulling out, he laid a finger beside his nose and tore up in the sash. No, I'm just kidding, amen. It was like I'm just waiting for him to fly away, amen. 
me and my wife got in the vehicle. We started driving down the road. We're like, that was awesome. I can't believe that. You know what God did? He sent us an expert in the field that we needed right when we needed it. And where we was at in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, didn't bother him none. He knew exactly where his children were at. He knew exactly what we were going through. He knew exactly what we needed. Amen. I'm sure that thing with the Isuzu must have been a lesson he was teaching us. But on this night, he taught me another lesson. I have got the person you need to help you no matter what your problem is. And that's what this text is telling us. He is the perfect captain of our salvation. He's been tempted in all points like as we are. God said, as I'm letting him come down, down here to do the saving. He's also going through suffering so he can be the perfect captain of your salvation. That means he doesn't just save. He helps us. I'm going to give you this in closing. How does he help us, preacher? I'm going to give you a few simple thoughts. First of all, he reminds us to pray specifically about the sins that we are struggling with. Now that may seem simple, but it's so easy to forget and it's so easy just not to do it. Like if you are struggling with a specific hatred towards somebody, then that ought to be at the top of your prayer list tonight or you're not ever going to get victory. Until you're serious about asking God for help, what makes you think you're going to get help? See, your attitude's got to change. Your desire to do right's got to change. There's got to be some repentance. There's got to be you working with God and submitting to God so that God can do and give you the victory in your life. And so if you're not even willing to pray and admit you've got a problem, the beginning of the help in your life is not going to come. It starts with us admitting we have got to pray about the things that are defeating us. Go to Matthew 6 very quickly. Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to have to hurry tonight really quickly. Go to Matthew chapter 6. How does Jesus help us? How does this perfect helper give us the help that we need? Matthew 6, verse number 19. You know the scripture here. I'm just going to hit this and then move to another scripture in Matthew 6. But in verse number 9, the Bible said, After this manner, therefore... Uh, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He's teaching the principles of prayer. And would you notice down in verse number 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, do you know this is not a rote prayer? Used to pray as a Catholic, our Father, word in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, that will be done as earth as be in heaven. And hell, Mary, full of grace, Lord, with thee, bless thou. All that mess, that's not how it was ever intended by God. That's vain repetitions. These are principles, and one of the principles that Jesus laid out in bedrock in our prayer life is, you better pray about your temptations every time you talk to the Father. Are you? Are you asking God for help in those areas? Because I dare say there's a lot of people, they just accepted defeat and never realized they could live in victory. A lot of people say, well, I've tried so many times, I just quit. I've heard them with my own ears confess that to me. <clears throat> I want to encourage you tonight, get back to praying about it. Come to this altar, confess it tonight. Ask God for help. Go home, write it down. Tuck it in your Bible. Pray for it day and night. Pray for it when you're at work. Pray for it when you get up. Pray for it when you go to bed. And start to see God work in that area. Yeah. Notice if you would. Uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 26 really quickly. Matthew chapter 26, we'll flip over there. <clears throat> How does Jesus help? He reminds us we've got to start praying about those issues. Matthew 26 and verse number 41. Look at your Bible, please. You know this passage as well, I'm sure. The Bible said, watch 
<clears throat> and pray, why? That you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He said, I'm going to help you overcome the flesh by the spirit, but you've got to be willing to pray. Amen? Somebody sarcastically said, preacher, you just think you pray and God's just going to automatically help you. That's what he said. Amen? He said, pray that you enter not into temptation. That's pretty simple, amen? So the first thing he does to help us, our perfect helper suitable to our problem, is that he reminds us to pray. Letter B, he commands us to flee idolatry. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, please. I want to teach you some things, and I just please be patient with me tonight. I wanted to preach short, but God wouldn't let me, amen? So you're going to have to take it up with him. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. So I'm going to slow down a little bit. I want to try to, to illustrate something for you. And let me put it to you this way. He not only commands us to flee idolatry, but he instructs us that the very things that we are succumbing to in temptation, they have become idols of the heart. And they're wicked. Idolatry is wicked. Amen. Don't go pointing out Mary on the half shell and the stations of the cross and, you know, all these big monuments of Catholics worship if you're not willing to admit idolatry is wicked in your own life. Amen. We look at the Muslims and, man, we, we look at the Hindus. I can't even believe it, man. There's a perfectly good cow. I'm like, man, pass me a butcher knife, a bow and arrow, one match, and we're going to eat supper, man. And they'll die worshiping a cow. Amen. Uh, we look at that and say, man, that's wicked, that's terrible. May I just submit to you that the worst kind of idolatry, and incidentally, those that are lost, they're doing what they're expected to do. They're their father, the devil. Unless they're father, they will do. That's normal. That's natural for the heathen. But what is the worst kind of idolatry takes place in the hearts of those who have been to Calvary, been washed in the blood, Singing about it, praising God about it, shedding a tear about it. We have been saved and washed in the blood. And yet we need to understand that sometimes you and I replace Jesus with idols. I would never do that. Look at your Bible, please. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse number 13. <clears throat> he commands us to flee idolatry and lets us know that our sin can be idols. He said, therefore, uh, verse number 13, there is no temptation. Now, I'm going to have to hurry, but listen to me very carefully. What is verse 13 about? If I was to ask you, what subject is God dealing with? There's no what? Temptation, right? Is it about temptation? Amen. Then he says this, who will not suffer to be tempted. What's God dealing with? What subject? Temptation. Then he says, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. What's God dealing with? What's the subject? Temptation. So in my finite thinking, and if you and I had wrote the Bible, we'd have messed the whole thing up, Amen. Man couldn't write the Bible if he would. Man wouldn't write the Bible if he could. Amen? Because it condemns us to hell. But the fact is, if I had wrote it, then I th would think that verse 14 should sound something like this. Now, I'm not rewriting the Bible. I'm just telling you how messed up we are. We would have said, Wherefore, my dear beloved, flee from temptation. But that's not what God said. Because God's not Ted Alexander. I'm a little old speck and a peon, and he is the glorious Savior of the universe. Amen? And he knows. And so he said, Wherefore, because of temptation, tempted temptation, you better flee from idolatry. Here's what he's saying. For sake of our message tonight, we'll call this the valley of temptation. You'll be here and I'll be here very soon. The devil will make sure of that. 
this church is doing anything at all, God's after you all, I prom- or devil's after you all, I promise you that. So you're in the valley of temptation, and here comes the temptation. The devil comes knocking on a door. Now, some people just live with the door open. They have every intention to go bury their face in some wickedness after church maybe tonight. There are people like that, you realize that, living a double life, and then they're exposed, and they come out, and it's just a train wreck, and then the preacher's the problem. They blame him for it. Amen. By the way, if your preacher is trying to tell you what to do and try to help your family for, with biblical counsel and you get mad at him and throw a fit, don't go blaming the preacher when your family self-destructs. God gave you a man of God with the King James Bible for a reason. Follow godly counsel and submit yourselves unto your pastor. Amen. I'm sick and tired of these families going, well, the preacher did. And the preacher would have literally laid down his life to save the family and the parents wouldn't do right. Or the grandparents wouldn't do right. Amen. And great, while I'm here, grandparents, don't undermine the parents, amen? amen? And try to take the kids liberal when mom and dad's trying to do right. I've seen that wickedness, amen? Just happened in our church recently. But you're down there, the temptation comes, and the devil comes knocking on the door. And here's what the Lord is saying. Tempted, temptation, tempted. If you go in there, whatever it is that you're running after, you know God hates. Whatever that is, that's your idol. That's right. You don't love Jesus anymore. He's not your idol. He's not your savior. Now, sure, you're going to get to heaven by the skin of your teeth. He may have to take you home early. But that is what really you love in your heart is what you're running after when you know God hates it. God said, you got to start looking at it as the idol that it is. Because if you can't live without it, so I live without it for a week or two and then I go back. If you can't live without it, God wants you to have victory over it, to put sin. Oh, look, he didn't bleed and die on the cross so you could run around in a miniskirt, smoking your dope, looking at porn and doing all kinds of filth. He suffered and died on the cross so we could live holy, sinless lives. Not sinlessly perfect, but that we would sin less. Amen? So don't leave here and say, oh, I knew it. He's a sinless perfect. No, I'm not. You ask my wife if I'm a sinner. Amen? I heard one preacher say, I, don't, I believe we can sin, but I don't remember the last time I did. And I'm thinking, get your wife up there. She'll tell us. It was probably two minutes ago on the way here in the parking lot. Amen? You know how they're clubbing each other in the car, and they walk up, and the deacons out there passing out the, the monthly missalette, you know, and they come up there. Oh, hello, brother. How's everything going? We love Jesus. Amen? We're all filthy, rotten sinners. So I may have misspoke when I said that statement. But what Jesus is trying to tell us is, you keep going after this, it's an idol. So you better just keep your mouth shut about the Catholics if you're going to live that way. Just keep your mouth shut about the Muslims, because I understand why they do that. I don't understand why those of us that have everything that pertains unto life and godliness, that have an eternal inheritance and are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, that have a glorious home in heaven. Why do we run to these idols? And yet Jesus says, I want you to know that this is idolatry. He reminds us to pray, commands us to flee idolatry. And then thirdly, or letter C, he gives us a way of escape. That's how he helps. He gives us, look at your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer to be tempted above that you are able. We've all heard the story of the little boy. Went down to the general store in the old country, and he got himself a big old wicker basket. That's what they use in a lot of those countries. And they, they ca- carry firewood in them. And he was coming out of that store, and he was, man, just... Kind of humping that thing, man, and just trying to, you know, get it, get it to where it needed to go. And an elderly man stopped, looked down, and said, Son, I do declare your daddy laid too much on you today. He said, With all due respect, sir, 
He said, my father knows exactly how much I can handle. What, what does your Bible say? Look at what it says here. He says, who will not tempt you above that you're able. Now watch this. Not only will he not lay too much on us that he cannot have victory through us, but he says this, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. So if there is a temptation, there's a way to escape. Now that's, that's something to rejoice about. Let me give you the downside of it. How many have been saved here over 20 years? Don't be afraid to raise your hand. 30 years? 40? I'm almost there, amen. I'm down. Think about it. From the day you got saved, every single time that you and I succumbed to temptation, there was a way to escape. Anybody want to try to get a calculator out and add those up? Well, that must have been at least three or four times. You mean today? So if there's a thousand temptations and there's, there's, there was a thousand ways to escape, so it's not God's fault. God just gave me a hard lot in life. No, He gave you a way to escape every time you were tempted. There's 10,000 temptations. There's 10,000 ways to escape. If there's a million temptations, with the, the temptation is also a way to escape every single time it is there. Now what is that like when that happens? Well, let me just put it to you this way. We're back down in this valley, and the devil comes, and he flings the door open or knocks on the door and says, Hey, come on, do this. You know you want to be angry at that person. You know you want to be better. You know you want to do this. You know you want to flirt with this lady at work. Are you listening to me? And when he does that, now we can go in there, and we can have that idol, right? But before that happens... The Holy Spirit of God who has come into this world to reprove the world of sin and righteousness and judgment to come, who guides us into all truth, the Holy Spirit comes to us and says, Stop! That is sin. He points out in our life that we are about to go and displease God. And for a moment it registers in the mind and conviction if you're saved comes to the heart. You take a step away from Jesus and start going toward temptation. Immediately the Spirit is always faithful to do His job. And He says, hey, there's a way to escape. Remember what Jesus did on the cross? Remember how good that God has been to you? Maybe the phone rings when you're about to do something stupid. Maybe it's a knock on the door and you just think, oh, that's a coincidence. That's the Holy Spirit trying to keep you out of trouble. But many times it's just speaking to your heart and saying, no, do not do that. He convicts us. Thank God for old time conviction. You would say, well, preacher... That's funny because I do that stuff all the time and I never hear it. And you scare me to death. I fear for you in your place because you have no discernment to fear for yourself because there's only one of two ways that we can compute that biblically. Either you are as lost as a ball in tall weeds if the Holy Spirit who you say lives inside of your breast is no longer is not talking to you, not speaking to you, not convicting you. If there's no convincement of sin whatsoever, the question needs to be asked, is God really in there? Or if you are saved, the other possibility is you have quenched, grieved, and seared your conscience with a hot iron. You run so fast you take no time to listen. You, you've disregarded him so many times that his voice is getting uh, quieter and quieter. And you run there and you've already determined to do it. And you've decided to do it. And you can't even hear his voice anymore. 
That is a scary place to be. Young people, if you're hiding something from your parents and you are just bound to do it and you don't care what this preacher or your parents or that preacher or anyone else says, I'm scared to death for the path you're going to walk. It is destruction at the end. For everyone that's ever walked it, you'll be no different. Nobody takes on sin and comes out unscathed. And so God is telling you there is a way to escape. Well, what do I do, preacher? I know I'm saved, but I'm really struggling. I would come to this altar tonight and say, Dear God, please forgive me. Cleanse me. I want to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speak to my heart again. <clears throat> Listen to me. You, have, you better get serious about this because uh, this is a very serious business. People are getting destroyed with temptation. Let me hurry on. He gives us a way uh, to escape. And then let me just give you this lastly. And this is the part that blows my mind. He offers rewards for obedience and taking the way of escape. You know, God is a rewarder. And I don't understand why. Amen. I've said it before. If he saved us and we had to crawl on hands and knees for a thousand miles on shards of glass to get to heaven, we'd still say, what a good deal. Amen. Not one hair in our head's ever going to go to hell. We deserve hell with gasoline britches on. Amen. But God gave us a wonderful salvation. But then he goes above and beyond that and offers rewards. Now, this is the part that blows my mind. Turn to James chapter 1. I want you to see this. And I want to ask you this question. If you and I experience victory, James chapter 1, who really, who really won that victory? If we're submitted to him, <clears throat> it's his power we need if he's working through us. If I have been victorious for two weeks or three weeks or a month in a certain area that once troubled me and drugged me down and hurt me, who really should get the glory for that? God, right? Because it's not our power, amen? We don't have any strength at all. Without Him, we can do no thing. There's nothing at all that we can do. And so here's the part that blows my mind. Even though it is all of God's power and all of God's grace and all of God's glory for any victory we get whatsoever in temptation, at the end of the day... He offers rewards for obedience and taking the way of escape. James chapter 1 and verse number 12. The Bible said, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. How is he blessed? For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. Now we know this takes place at the end of the judgment seat of Christ. Amen? And uh, of course, notice this. And it's when Paul receives his, everybody will receive it at the same time, amen. But he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised, watch this, to them that love him. So the one that endures temptation becomes this one that loves him. So let's go down to the valley one more time. Can I just be honest with you? A lot of people sit in our churches saying amen, and they live over here. Lived here for a long time. Mom don't know. Preacher don't know. And on the external, man, everything looks good and they might even be lost. Right? But there's Christians that are living over here. And you know what? That's what they love. It's what they want. It's what they desire. It's what they've gone after. And nothing's going to stop them. But if tonight you will come and say, God, please, by your grace, I've got to be done with this. I have got to stop. And I'm going to tell you the biggest, temp the biggest temptation tonight will be to stay in your pew lest somebody would think you're a sinner. And I'm here to tell you again, you're a filthy, rotten sinner. Yeah. Yeah. 
There ain't no doubt about it. So don't worry about what anybody thinks tonight. Because if you let pride keep you from getting right, you've got serious problems. But here's what the Lord says. But if you will just let me help you, if you will get up one more time, brush off the ashes and say, by the grace of God, I'm going to try to go forward. Christ, give me your power and help. I want to please you. Then you come over here and now no longer is that your idol. But now you become one of them that loves him. And what do all of us in here desire? If you're saved, there's got to be somewhere deep down or maybe right here where mine's at. I want to please him more than anything in the world. And that junk does not please him. But if you live over here, you become one of them. You know, that denotes the idea that there's some that don't please him. If you can become one of them that do, am I right? Biblically, and according to the English language, is not, not correct. Is there not uh, the fact that there's some that don't love him? So you can either tonight be some of them that don't love him, and God didn't make marionettes. He's not pulling your string. You can do whatever you want to do, and you can be one of those that loves whatever it is you've got. And it could be, ma'am, that you're holding on bitterness, and you just won't forgive somebody. And I just really feel led to say that one more time. But I want to become one of them that love him. What about you? There's no reason we have the way to escape. He reminds us about the prayer. He gives us the power. We know we have a captain of our salvation. He, he, we got an expert in the field. We got everything that we need from the Lord. As I travel this country, you know one of the saddest things I've seen for 24 and a half years? <clears throat> hey, preacher, good to see you, man. It's Sunday, Sunday morning service is over. Hey, where was that one family? Oh, preacher. Yeah, he, 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 he left his wife and and now she's out shacked up with somebody. And yeah, about every church I've ever been in, there's one or two families. Well, it's just one or two. One or two is too many. If he truly suffered and bled and died on a cross, folks, and we have every reason to live for him. We all know temptation exists, but we want to just hide it under the rug and not deal with it. God knows where you're at tonight. But thank God he's not looking down with a furrowed brow saying... I hope you really don't make it. He's looking down saying, I let my son come down and as I was working out the plan of salvation, I made sure he suffered and went through every temptation and and, and possibility that you could have so that you would never think that I'm not here to help you. And he's holding out a hand of help tonight so that none of us drowned in sin. That's what revival is all about. It's about us letting God work in us so that we can get to the place where we need to be spiritually. You get there and God will then be able to open your eyes and show you what He wants you to do, where He wants you to go, and how He wants you to live your life. Amen? Let's all pray tonight. Father, I love you.